for some of you guys that don't know, uh, I don't come from a religious background. I don't come from a, uh, a, a biblical background. I come from a secular background. I was raised with no church whatsoever. Um, I was raised with uh, no understanding what Christmas was. Except for to me, Christmas was Santa Claus, Easter was the Easter Bunny, and that's pretty much all we knew. And that's what we were raised with. And I lived that way for 34 years. So not being raised with that understanding or that foundation, one of the things that the Lord revealed to me 17 years ago was the fact that he was real. It wasn't just a bunch of stories. It wasn't just a bunch of conjecture. It was actually a real, uh, a real person and a real person of God and the fact that he cared for me and wanted a relationship with me. And 17 years ago, 17 and a half years ago, God changed my life and redirected my life. And tonight as we go into this message, it's titled, From Christmas Future to Christmas Past. And it's going to talk about, we're going to have some scriptural references and we're going to build a case for the cause of Christ. But ultimately what I want you to know is this is not about religion. This is not about a religious experience. This is about a personal relationship with someone that loves us more than we understand what love is. We can deny God's existence. We can pretend he's not there. But guess what? He's there nonetheless. And the good news is that no matter what we may think, he loves us and his desire is to know us. That's what today, why it's so important. That's why this celebration today is so key because it is the ultimate example of the love of God to send his own son to come not only to be born as a baby, but then ultimately to die for things that were not his responsibility, they were ours, and offer us a way, a way out. But I'm going to take us back into the distant, distant past, uh, way, way back. Some 2,740 years ago, there was a, a child born in Judah that would grow up to be a prophet of God. He would be educated and raised in Jerusalem, where he would serve several powerful Hebrew kings before his untimely death. As a prophet, he was prolific and influential, not only during his time, but his prophecies have been revered in both Jewish and Christian cultures for centuries. The prophecies God revealed to him have been the most copied out of the Old Testament, and when it comes to the New Testament, his book has been referenced more than any other, four, over 411 different times referenced. His, law, his lifelong mission was to profess the glory of God and point a sinful people to the kingdom of God and his coming judgment, while at the same time sharing the message of redemption that the Lord offered to the world and still does today. This prophet's Hebrew name translates Yahweh is salvation, and his name that we know him by is Isaiah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this opportunity to bring your word. And God, I know that you've spoken to me, and I would ask, Lord, now that you now speak through me, that the words I share may not be out of my wisdom, but, Lord, the very words that you would give me. Thank you for each that's here. Thank you, Lord, for our visitors. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit and your presence with us now. And, Lord, I'm so thankful that you are real. You're not just stories, God. You are one who loves us and is literally working in our lives every day. I want to give you thanks for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. In Isaiah verse chapter number 9, verses 6 and 7 is all we're going to look at. This is 730 years before the birth of Christ. This is, for unto us, this is prophetic speaking from Isaiah, for unto us, talking about humanity, a child is born, referencing the virgin birth. Unto us a son. Notice it says son. It says a son is given. The Bible references Jesus as a gift. We see him given here. And it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulders, King Jesus, who will rule over the earth. And his name shall be called Wonderful. His birth, his life, and his death are a wonder. He says, it says he's counselor. He spoke the unmistakable wisdom of God. The mighty God, all-powerful creator. The everlasting Father, 
Only one can reign forever. In Colossians 2, 9, it says, 2, 9 and 10, it says this, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father, and he is the Prince of Peace, it says. He can bring peace to our hearts and will bring peace to the world, ultimately. Verse chapter and verse number seven, he says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, showing he is from the line of David, which we know from Matthew 1, 6, and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The coming of the Lord is a glorious, glorious coming. And we see here that the Lord is going to bring peace and justice. Notice one, it says peace to no end. It says justice forever. It talks about peace, peace that is a peace that does not make sense to the world. It's a peace that can come into the heart of someone who is dealing with tragedy. It's a peace that is unmistakable because once we experience it, it's unlike anything we've ever known before. Peace, peace, peace. Peace. And then he talks about justice. And justice is something that so many of us, we want, man. We want justice in the world. And guess what? There is justice in the world. Jesus Christ offers ultimate justice from the cross. And what happens is, and throughout our world, if we have justice and we have mercy, those two things cannot exist together in our world. Because what happens is, if I'm merciful, then I'm being unjust. Because if someone deserves a punishment and I choose not to give it to them, that means I'm being merciful. So justice suffers because of mercy. But if I'm overly merciful, and then what happens? Justice. Either one, they suffer from one. Too much mercy affects the justice. Too much justice affects the mercy. And we look at that, and one always has got to be a give and take, but the one beautiful thing is what Jesus did on the cross is where justice and mercy could exist exactly at the same time. Because God is just. Every single person, man, woman, child, and whoever ever lives, will one day face a just God for what they do. But at the same time, Jesus came out of love to give his life, to offer mercy through his own death. So the justice will be fulfilled because he would make sure that the unjust would pay the price. And for those that were justified by him, he paid the price himself. Justice is fulfilled. In our world, those two suffer from one or the other. But in Jesus' example, justice exists, mercy exists, hand in hand. It's a beautiful beautiful thing. Justice will be fulfilled. Justice will be fulfilled while at the same time mercy on the unimaginable scale will be displayed at the cross. Hope will be born in the little town of Bethlehem in about 730 years. Isaiah is looking into the distant future, seeing a picture of the birth of Christ. Now, you and I, we're looking back into the past. About 2,050 years ago, there was a, a miracle that took place in a little nowhere village in the Middle East. A prophecy was fulfilled. In Luke 1, 26-33, it says this, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The virginity of Mary is foundational to our faith. If you ever read a Bible and it calls her a young woman, you're in the wrong Bible. She is a virgin, and that's key. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. What is he saying? And she says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. 
And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Notice that the focus in this scripture is not on Mary. It's on the miraculous child that she will bear. Verse 32, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Here we see the description that Isaiah was describing literally 730 years beforehand. We see Gabriel now talking about the same prophecy. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Gabriel is literally describing the prophecy that we just read. Mary is flabbergasted by the news, but at the same time, she's fearful. But guess what? As a Jewish child, she would have heard the story of Isaiah. She would have known this story. She would have recognized it. So the Son of God, the Messiah, who's prophesied years and years and years and years ago, generationally, consider 730 years. The United States is just over a few hundred years old, right? 200, I don't know what our age is. What is it? Does anybody know? Anyway, we're over a couple hundred years old. But that's a long time, right? We think back to George Washington. We're like, man, that was a long time ago. This is 730 years ago. This is eons back, way, way back. And she'd heard this story, and God had maintained this story throughout time. So this Messiah that she'd heard of, now she hears, not only is he going to arrive, but she just found out that she is the vehicle in which he is going to arrive through. That's some pretty big news, right? Luke 2, verses one through 12, we're a little further on. Now she's been, she's been pregnant. And it came to pass in those days that there, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this tax was first made with Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all, went, and, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. Now, understand that Joseph was from Bethlehem, and that's why he's returning back. They live in Nazareth, but they're returning back to Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 tells us this about Bethlehem. This is around the same time as Isaiah, about 730 years before the birth of Christ. He says, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, thou, it says, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, meaning you are a little tiny village, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been, found, have been from of old, from everlasting. The Messiah will come out of Bethlehem. Verse number four. And Joseph also went, and, uh, went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Now, this is about an 80-mile journey. This wasn't like an overnight deal. This would have taken them several days. She's probably having, if she's walking part of the way, she's maybe riding part of the way, but this is a, this is a bit of a journey. Now, it's, it's fortuitous to them in the fact that this, uh, this pregnancy would have been a bit of a scandal where they lived because they were betrothed, but they weren't married. And the fact that she's pregnant I means she's married outside of, or she's pregnant outside of wedlock, and that'd be a big deal. So he's actually removing her out of probably a rumor mill where she's at in Nazareth. So this is a bit of a good thing. And, and, so it, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth, her first, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. I want you to remember the words wrapped. We're talking about that, the, the cloth. And we're also talking about the, it says laid him. And then also that term manger. A manger is what's also considered a trough. It could have been made out of wood. More realistically, it was probably cut out or hewn out of stone. It would have been a stone trough that they would put hay and feed inside. Okay? So now, we're going to look at a correlation to another verse in Luke 23, 53. Okay? This is after the crucifixion when Jesus is being taken down from the cross. And it says, And he took it down, talking about Jesus' body, and wrapped it in linen 
and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. So we see here, consider the fact that our Savior was wrapped in cloth, and he was laid in a place that was not made for men to be, have never been there. He was put someplace unusual. So do we see a parallel where here he is wrapped in swaddling clothes and he's laid in a manger. That's not where a person was supposed to be. No person had ever been there before. And he's laid in that manger. The manger's relevant because think about this. What is a manger's purpose? A manger is there to nourish. It only has one purpose. It does one thing. It nourishes. It provides food. It is a source of nutrition, right? And there, and it says, and check this out in verse number eight. It says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, notice he says the exact same thing that he said to Mary, fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And notice this, it says, and this shall be a sign unto you. He's speaking to the shepherds when he says this. He says, this is a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. He's very specific again to tell them that the child is going to be in the manger. Why is it relevant that the shepherds are told this? Because they would understand the purpose of the manger, right? He said, this is a sign unto you. This is specific for you guys to help you understand what it is this child's purpose is. Check this out. John, this is Jesus speaking of himself in John 6, verses 53 through 58. Remember, we're talking about nourishment. He's sitting in a manger. Jesus says this, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is, not, this is that bread which came down from heaven. Look at this. He's talking about himself. Not as your father did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And we talk about, he references, he uses the term eat, eat, eat. In the Hebrew understanding, if it talked about someone eating, what it meant was to take something as a truth, consume it, and make it a truth, something that you believed. So when he's referencing this eating, it's an analogy of talking about meat, his body, his understanding. It's our understanding of him, and it's an acknowledgement of who Christ is, and our acceptance of that knowledge and making it a part of us. And it says here, those will never die. They will live forever. Matthew 4, 4, as Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, he says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus was born as a sacrifice, right? He would be here and he would die on behalf of the sins of the world. But check this out. He came as to give us spiritual food, biblical understanding and knowledge. That Hebrew term talking about to eat, to eat, to eat, to consume. When we consume Jesus Christ by faith, we accept that he is who he says he is. We accept that he came for a purpose that's greater than we even understand. We consider our own personal sin, and we know how wicked we are. We know the things we've done. We can look in our own hearts and feel that. But God looks at every thought, every time we've done something that we regret. He sees it clearly, and he feels the pain of it as we sin against God. But yet he came as a Savior. When we accept it personally... When we make it our truth, when we entrust our eternity to Him, that changes everything. 
because that food, that spiritual food that's offered is him. This morning we studied, and one of the things that Jesus ended, ended the book of John with, he said, he said uh, follow thou me, follow thou me, follow me, follow me, learn of me. It says in John, John the Baptist describes Jesus this way. When he sees him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. This is Jesus' cousin. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. He's a sacrifice. A Lamb created specifically to die. And when we receive that gift, that gift, it manifests itself in us. If we are his children, then it manifests in us through our behavior, through the way we carry ourselves, the way we live our lives, the hope that lies within us, the peace that we can have that passeth all understanding, the ability to go through hard times and difficulties and to be able to have joy when it shouldn't exist, the ability to have faith and believe when we lose someone. If that person was of faith, we know that we'll see them again. The joy of knowledge, of knowing God. And that's what God gave me, guys, 17 and a half years ago when I sat on a couch wearing a wife beater t-shirt and a pair of dirty shorts and somebody opened the Bible and talked to me about who Christ was. And I sat back going and convince me, convince me, convince me. And you know what's beautiful about it? He didn't need to convince me. All he did was open up the word of God and start to share the truth. And you know what it did? It spoke to my heart. It spoke to me inside. It wasn't a matter of me being convinced. It was a matter of recognizing truth for truth. And when truth strikes, man, you know it. You just feel it. And that was the thing. When I heard that truth, man, it changed me. And it made me realize that, I, that, that the people that were talking to me had something I did not have. They had a joy that I didn't understand. They had a peace that I didn't understand. They had a love in their heart that I didn't understand. Why would they care for someone like me? Why would God care for someone like me? as wicked as I was, the things that I'd done, the decisions I'd made, the people I'd hurt. Why would God care? Because he knew who I was, not only for, for what I'd done, but he knew me for who I could become. And that's the thing. God looks at us and he knows our future. He knows why he created us, which is for a loving relationship with him. And even when we're arrogant, even when we're just so, think we're just so smart, we got all the answers, and we know all the details. God says, you know what? Your wisdom is just foolishness, but I'll let you hold on to it if you want to, and I'll love you through it. I will love you through it. If Jesus is our Savior, if we are a child of God, it manifests in our lives. Galatians 5, and 25, and I'm almost done. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the fruit representing. If I have Christ, if I am one of His, this is what you will see in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, it is joy, it is peace, it is long-suffering, it is gentleness, it is goodness, it is faith, it is meekness. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meek means power under control. It means temperance. Against such there is no law. This is not about following the rules, man. This is something that when you have a relationship with Christ, it just comes out of you. It bubbles out, not because you follow the rules, but because you are a changed person, a new creature. It is visible to the world. If we receive the gift, there is evidence, and that is clearly seen. It's visible. But if it's not visible in our lives, it's for one of two reasons. Either our lives are so far from God, we're one of His children, but we've allowed so much sin into our life that it's created this distance between us and God. And we're so many times filled with guilt, filled with shame. And God doesn't want us to be that way. 
God wants to free us from guilt and shame. He wants to give us a relationship with him that is so joyous and beautiful that those things, those shackles of shame and bitterness that we carry, they fall off of our wrists and we're free, free, free. And that's the God we love. That's the God we serve. That's the God who came for us because he knows so many times that we live with these things that weigh us down. The other reason that we may not have those things revealed in our life is we're not one of his. By faith, we've never received Christ. By faith, we said, look, you know what? I may know who God is here, but it's not a matter of having knowledge of God. Right? It's not a matter of people. Some people say, well, I believe in God. Great, good for you. But the devil himself believes in God. The Bible says that the demons will tremble in the presence of God. So they don't doubt God's existence. They believe that he exists. But is a demon going to go to heaven when they die? No. Or when it ceases to exist, which it never will, it just burn? No. So it's not about belief. It's not about religion. It's not about rules. The whole goal of this church is to take religion and throw it away. Because bottom line is it's not about religion. This is about a relationship with God. This is about the God of the Bible, not the God of the church. This is not about what people have told you God is. This is about who he really is. And when we strip away all the garbage that man creates and we find the real God, holy moly, man, it changes things. You see not a God that wants to destroy you and hammer you. You see one that will go to the end of the earth to save you and pay whatever price it takes of his own volition to suffer for you, to suffer for me. That's a different God than what we hear in the world, than what we hear in the world. And what happens is God saying, you know what? I reveal myself through my people. And bottom line is, as you live your life, if you're one of his, let him shine out of you. So many of us hide it. We're, we act like we're ashamed. Bottom line is, there's no reason to be ashamed. God has given us the greatest gift ever given. When Christ came in, that was the most amazing gift. And a star sat right above and gleamed and shined upon that beautiful baby, knowing in that moment, at the instant of that first cry, that there would come a day when he would say, it is finished. And he would have been tortured and beaten and whipped and destroyed while being innocent. And that innocent baby was just as innocent when he took his first breath as he was when he took his last breath. And he loves us. And today is a celebration of that gift. Joshua said this in 2415, choose ye this day whom you will serve. You can live this life serving yourself and end up empty. Or you can live this life serving him and have the most full, fulfilling life in the world. If any of us remember, there was a special time, probably when we were a kid, when we gave a special gift. And we thought about that gift. And we thought about that moment. We wanted to give it to our mom or our dad, somebody special in our life. We wanted to give it to them weeks ahead of time, as soon as it was ready, as soon as it wrapped. Oh, I want to open it today, 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 today. And for me, you know what it was? It was a, it was a, uh, uh, it was called a La Machine. I don't know if y'all remember that. I'm really old anyway. I'm, this thing was, this was the, whenever food process were first coming out, I saved up all my money and I bought my mom a La Machine. She always used to cut everything by hand. I was like, man, I'm getting a law machine. It was a food process. You put it on it, turned in, it zapped all the stuff in little pieces. And I was like, man, this is going to be the greatest thing. And I saved up and saved up and saved up and saved up and saved up. And one of my neighbors took me to the store, and I bought that thing, and I wrapped it up. And I'm telling you what, it was just a food processor, but to me it was the greatest thing I could offer her. And I knew she would love it. And I was so excited. I didn't care what was under the tree for me. 
It didn't make a bit of difference. I could have got nothing that year because I was so excited about seeing her face. Someone that I loved, someone that I respected, open that gift. See, that's what this is all about. You and I were not created to give or to take. It's not about receiving. It's about giving. And Jesus set the ultimate example of what it means to give when he gave his life. We've got to reevaluate ourselves. We're in a world and a culture that's all about me, 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 me. And it's all about not us. It's not about us. Maybe we have a T-shirt that's in the back and it says it's not about me. It's all about him. And that's why we're here. And if we'll live a life to fulfill him, we'll be fulfilled. If you live a life to be fulfilled yourself, it'll never happen. It'll always be filled with voids. Let's pray. Lord, we come tonight thanking you so much for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of that baby. And thank you, Lord, for the gift of that man that suffered and died in our place. And Lord, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't know tonight. If this was my last day on earth, I honestly do not know where I would go. When I was asked that question 17 years ago, I said, he said, do you know if this was your last night? Do you know where you'd go? Are you sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, I hope so. Because you know what? I'd watch cartoons. And in the cartoons, the bad guys got horns and went to hell. And the good guys, they got wings and they went to heaven. And I thought, maybe I'm a good enough person. But it wasn't about that. It was about receiving the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'm going to give you that opportunity tonight. You have an opportunity that you can talk to God. This is, doesn't take religion. This doesn't take a preacher. This, isn't a game. this is between you and him. And you have an opportunity to speak to that God that loves you directly. The same baby that was born, the same one that took his last breath on the cross, loves you and wants to save you right now. He wants to give you that relationship with him, not about religion, but about a relationship. And if you're here tonight and you say, you know what? I want that relationship. I do not have that peace in my heart. I do not have the joy in my heart, and I need it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. No one's listening. This is between you and him. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but it's not the words of the prayer that will do anything because God's listening to our heart. As he listens to our heart, as you sit in your seat, he's listening to your desire. And if you wish and you hope and you desire to receive Christ as your Savior, He will do it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, pray this prayer in your heart and in your mind. Then you can receive Him as your Savior. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I'm the one that has separated us. I've done the wrong things. I've sinned against you. I've hurt, your, I've hurt others. I've hurt myself, and I'm sorry. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to pay the price for me. I ask you now to receive me as your child and to save my soul. By faith, I'm coming to you tonight, and by faith, I have received you as my Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still bowed. Eyes still closed. If you're here tonight, and I'm not going to call you out, I'm not going to say anything to you, 
but as a testament to God. And so I'll know who to pray for. If you raise your hand, if you prayed that prayer tonight and you earnestly meant it and you received Christ as your Savior, if you will raise your hand so I can pray for you. I'm the only one looking around. Raise that hand so I can see it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. And I thank you for the opportunity you've given us, Lord, to hear from you. God, to, to know you, Father. And Lord, to hear the truth of who you are in the world today and who you were in the distant past. And Lord, who you will be in the distant future. God, I love you. God, we love you. And we're thankful for this night. We'd ask you, Father God, to lead us, to direct us, and to strengthen us, Lord, that we might know you better. And then we might serve you with a life, God, that honors you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen.